Trigger warning. This podcast discusses themes centered around emotional, physical, and sexual violence. While the stories of the survivors are meant to be inspiring and informative, listener discretion is advised. If you are struggling with any of the aforementioned issues, links to resources can be found in the show notes of today's episode. They use people around them for a purpose, right? So if you look at who surrounds a narcissist, right? They have like an army of people and every person in their 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 army has a distinct purpose. And so they enable them by giving them whatever it is that the narcissist needs at any given moment. When they don't need something from that person, they don't exist in a sense. They're kind of interchangeable objects. So just by getting what they need from them, they're enabling them, but they may not even... They, they don't, the problem is they don't even realize it most of the time. And so that's, that's the issue. Hi, Survivors. I'm Tara Newell. And I'm Collier Landry. And this is the Survivor Squad Podcast. Yay, another episode. Another episode, Tara. Look at this. I'm really excited about today's guest. I know, right? She's, she's pretty fabulous. So am I. She's So are you? Amazing. Yeah, absolutely. I was, I was following her on Instagram before, too. Oh yeah, no. Oh, I might. I thought you meant like you're fabulous, Collier. No, I didn't mean that at all. No. Oh well, that's <laughs> great. You can always think you're fabulous. You oh know? well, thanks so much. That's so kind of you. So today's guest is Dr. Jamie Zuckerman, and she is a nationally known expert on narcissism. She's a narcissistic abuse relationship coach and licensed clinical psychologist. She's known on Instagram as Dr. Z. Dr. Z works with people nationwide, helping them understand the complexities of narcissistic relationships, providing tools to navigate these dynamics, and offering customized behavior plans to help her clients make healthy choices and to get where they want to be. I love it. And then you make some great jokes with her about a certain shop. A certain shop? Yeah, like a pizza shop, right? Or is it No, cheesesteaks. No, it's about cheesesteaks. Okay. That's funny. No, as, well, because she's, she, her practice is based in Bryn Mawr, Pennsylvania, which I was born at Bryn Mawr Hospital. And my whole family is from the Lower Marion area, which is where Kobe Bryant is most famously from. You know, you got to ask people in Philadelphia, what is your favorite cheesesteak? Who makes the best cheesesteak? And is it, is it Pat's or Gino's? There's, there's two places and it's a war, which she, you know, discusses in the episode. It's funny. Well, I'm excited to get into it and hear her answer. Yeah, absolutely. Let's get into it. different types of narcissists because I told my friend the other day I was like oh that sounds like a covert narcissist and I'm not sure if I was correct in that (laughs) yeah so there's different types of narcissists just for kind of just really kind of basic there's you know the 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 narcissist that is um you know very um kind of full of themselves to everybody. And like every time they answer a room, everyone knows that they're the world revolves around them. Kind of people's stereotypical definition of a narcissist, right? Like um, these big ideas, extremely entitled, um, just kind of, you know, step on the little people and 
um, they're, they're like that all the time. That's just, you know, and they, they don't care who they hurt. They don't care what they have to do in the process to get what they need. They're very, um, you know, really kind of triggered by any type of criticism. Um, they like the public eye, that kind of thing. Covert narcissists are the type where they are very charming, very, um, easy to be around in public, um, very, um, you know, just kind of, they come off like the good friend. They come off like the fun friends. They're even sometimes very philanthropic. They, they just look like a really good member of society, but then behind closed doors, it's a whole different story. They are calculating, they're abusive. They are, um, very condescending, very manipulative, that coercive control. People don't see it. They, they, they see this other person outside. That's why when people say, you know, narcissists, they have difficulty controlling their anger. You know, no, no, actually they, they don't. They are actually very skilled at controlling their anger because they specifically turn it off when they're around certain people and they just turn it right back on when they're around you. You know, you could, they could be direct, you know, one of the times where narcissists really kind of um, control and abuse people is in the car. They drive fast on purpose. They scare you. They, you know, you're trapped in there. They can do and say what they want. That could be your ride to the restaurant. As soon as you get out of the car, you're angry or you're in tears or you're so worked up. They get out of the car to meet with the other people you're having dinner with and they're totally fine. It's like, you know, so they're very skilled at controlling their anger. And then you're sitting there completely frazzled or angry and they're being this charming self with these other people. And you're sitting there going like, you know, you're just you feel crazy. Um, and so that's, those are kind of the two. There's also, um, a lot of times narcissists who will often play the victim, right? Like everything happens to them and it happens worse to them. Everything, um, is kind of focused on, 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 on them as far as nobody likes me. Nobody does this for me. Nobody, you know, everybody leaves me. Everybody is kind of that woe is me, but at a, at a very, you know, extreme level. And so that's how they kind of get that sympathy and that, that, that empathy and that attention by, by playing that, that role, um, at the expense of other people's time and happiness. It doesn't really occur to them or, or matter. My opinion, I think they're all dangerous, but I think covert narcissists are definitely, I would say, I don't want to say more dangerous, a different type of dangerous. Anyway, I was just thinking the, the fat, the fast driving. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the f- the fast driving and the anger and then the, and then the, just like, everything's fine. And then you're, you're literally trying, that was my father, yep. you know, yep. uh, and, and other people that I've had in my life. And I've seen, you know, that it's something that's interesting is I've seen that behavior with other people, but I guess I just didn't realize that was necessarily narcissism. I just, I just was like, they're an asshole. Right. 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 God, her exactly. boyfriend's a fucking asshole. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> right. Cause it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Cause we don't operate like that. Right. It takes yeah. a while to calm down. It takes a while to come up. I mean, it, it, it's, it's totally, it, it's mind numbing, you know, and you watch this happen and it's so confusing, you know, it, but I also, you know, the other thing too, and I say this to people too, um, you know, not everybody who displays these behaviors is a narcissist. So you could grow up in an environment, right? Where you have one parent that's extremely neglectful, right? Or you have one parent that you're constantly walking on eggshells with because they have a drinking problem. 
Or you could have a narcissistic parent, right? Or whatever the case may be, an emotional abusive parent, overbearing parent, just some sort of environment that is either unpredictable or smothering or toxic. You may very well model patterns of behavior, right, of a narcissistic parent, and then you move it. And I've, I've seen this a lot. You move into adulthood, and you're still using these patterns. You never change them as your context change, right? They used to work for you as a kid. They don't work for you anymore, but you never shifted them. So now you feel like you're hitting a wall in work, in relationships, in fi- you know, financial stuff. You just Your life is not working well, and you can't figure out why. The difference is that a narcissist would never come to therapy for that, right? Whereas somebody who has patterns that look like the pattern, the behaviors of a narcissist, but really they're not a narcissist, they don't have narcissistic personality disorder. They just have been modeling these patterns of behavior. And when they realize their life is not working and when they realize they have a role in that and they realize that maybe they've been hurting other people and they don't want that. That is, that's kind of the, the difference between someone with narcissistic personality disorder and somebody who has those patterns that may look like that, but they're not that, if that makes sense. Um, they have awareness, they have empathy, they don't want to harm other people. Um, they, don't, they, they don't want that life. And so that they come into therapy. And that is where you see change with people. Whereas with a narcissist, that wouldn't even occur to them that things aren't working. They would never admit that. They would sooner blame somebody else or just do what they need to do to to make it better for themselves. Okay. Do you think that being around narcissists, sometimes you mimic their behaviors to other people? I mean, the truth is if you're around anyone long enough, right? Like you you will adopt some of their behavior patterns. That's just that's just normal, right? But I think what happens too is that when you're in a traumatic situation, especially one where it's more chronic, so you use that chronic PTSD in this prolonged situation, you 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 there's a lot of safety seeking behaviors. And I think a lot of times people will mimic the behavior of the person that's abusing them because it it it, it almost feels safer and it's almost like okay, there's this sense of okay, well if they're behaving like that and I behave like that, then maybe they won't be as whatever to me, or maybe it'll make us more aligned somehow. Um, you know, there's that aspect of it too. I've had people kind of say that they, they don't know how to respond because they've been so, you know, conditions to, to behave a certain way and they've been trained or, you know, gaslit into acting a certain way that that's all they know. They didn't know there was any other way to act until they were out of it. There's also something to be said that that when you're in a narcissistic relationship, they condition you also to truly believe that you are nothing without them. You're nothing without them. No one else is going to want you. You are damaged. And the truth of the matter is, as soon as that idealized version of you is gone, you're bad. You're already bad. You're bad before you even get into it, right? So once that's gone, you're bad in their eyes. And they're going to convince you that you play that role Things will go easier for you if you play that role. But by playing that role, you're also reinforcing what they say. And so I think that that jealousy component makes a ton of sense because if your conditions either growing up or throughout your life or throughout relationships that you 
either are going to be left if you don't act a certain way or that you're unlovable and you've been told no one's going to want you and somebody leaves you or so that makes total sense that you're going to feel that way. And I think the, the recovery process of that is to identify when that's manufactured jealousy or it's normal human emotion, normal human behavior, because we're still human. We're still going to be jealous at times, but there's a difference between being jealous and being jealous and then looking at it from the standpoint of, I'm a piece of crap in comparison, right? It's more of, oh, I wish I could do X, Y, and Z, but that doesn't mean I look at myself as less than. And I think the narcissist does a really good job of making you feel less than in comparison. That's how they can they, they keep control over you. Okay, so what I would like to know... Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline is what makes a narcissist? Why do they behave this way? You guys have such good questions. I love this. Um, <laughs> so there's there's a lot of research and data out there and kind of depends on who you ask. Um, there's research out there that says that, you know, it's hereditary, genetic, there's brain abnormalities, there's brain differences. There's some that'll say, well, obviously there's brain differences. If somebody behaves a certain way their whole life, their brain's going to look different than somebody who doesn't. Um, certain parts of the brain light up differently when certain triggers are presented. So there are brain differences. Some say there's organic brain differences. Um, but most of the literature and most of the people that I know that, that work with this population um, will tell you that it is more of a result of the patterns of behavior that a child develops growing up that is in response to either, like I said before, um, neglect, emotional abuse, sexual abuse, physical abuse, um, you know, overbearing, any type of extreme or inconsistent parenting. And so a child will develop because children are smart and they are resilient. They will develop these patterns to survive through whatever upbringing they have. At a certain point, when you're out of that dangerous context and it no longer exists and now you're in a different environment and you don't need those patterns anymore, if you don't shift them, if they're not malleable, then you continue with them and they no longer work for you. The people that don't ever shift them, that they, it, it kind of becomes actually their identity, who they are, um, are often the ones that will develop some sort of personality difficulties or style. For full-blown narcissistic personality disorder to develop, there has to be a development of, you know, they, they feel so horrible about themselves based on what their upbringing was, that they will develop this wall, right? Um, where they will never let anybody make them feel vulnerable because it's not safe. They will never let anybody harm them, do anything to them emotionally, whatever. They're going to do it to them first, right? They are always going to be one step ahead. They are always going to be bigger and, you know, just in charge, in control at all times. And nobody is ever going to 
beat them at that game. And the truth is nobody ever is going to win at a narcissist game. You just have to stop playing, right? So they build up this defense mechanism. And, and this is where that narcissistic rage comes in. If you ever for a second see the narcissist as vulnerable, right? Or you ever they ever know that you see them for what they are or you call them out on their stuff, that's where you see that narcissistic rage, which is either this anger that is just scary, just scary, right? People say they notice their pupils get really big. Their eyes almost look black, right? It's extremely scary. Or you get something that looks like they just, they just discard you. They just cut you off. You're done. You do not exist anymore. And they will do these things as a way to like gain control or just cut you out because you're a threat, right? So they'll discard you, they'll ignore you, or they will have this rage episode on you all of which has a sole purpose to either, you know, obviously to protect them, protect their facade, but also to push you back to get out of their their kind of zone um, or just cut you out as if you don't even exist because now you serve no purpose because you've seen who they are. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Hey, Tara, as you know, I've been going back to therapy and I absolutely love it. You've been going back to therapy too, right? Oh yeah, I went back to therapy and I went back to BetterHelp as well. Did you really? And how's that working out for you? I love it because there's so many therapists to choose from on there. Whatever you need, you could just go through a list. I went through a list the other day, just seeing what they had to offer. There was one with PTSD. There's so many great therapists. I mean, I believe there's over 30,000 different therapists that are on their app and you can communicate with them with video conferencing. You can do messages and communicate with your therapist. It's a very personalized experience, which I really love. Oh, yes. I texted with a therapist the other day and I'm never tried that out before and I was like oh because I was typing it out with her processing through it and usually I get angry when I type stuff out but I was like oh I was able to process it and work through it in a new way and you know what in a season of giving what better gift than to give yourself the gift of therapy in the season of giving give yourself what you need with better help Visit BetterHelp.com slash Survivor today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Survivor. It's a scary disorder. Very, very, you know, and and also for people that are listening, you know, that they have like somebody like, oh, well, my partner or my parent has some of these things. That's not what we're talking about, right? Somebody can have some of these things, but not have narcissistic personalities. And I think that's where some of the confusion lies. Um, it is a very separate thing. And, and listen, people are, are still abusive, physically abusive, sexually abusive. Doesn't mean they're a narcissist, right? People are, can still be abusive, but not be a narcissist. Um, and I think that's also an important distinction too. But yeah, it's extreme. It's, it's, it is extremely scary. Do you think that people get confused with the avoidant attachment sometimes? Yeah. So people with avoidant attachment, which I can see the, the similarities that make sense, but somebody with avoidant attachment style, they're conflicted, right? There's this kind of um, need to connect, want to connect, don't want to get hurt. A narcissist doesn't look at another person as somebody to connect with on any type of intimate emotional level. They look at the other person as an object, as something that they can get something from. Um, the person doesn't have any type of, th- their opinions, their views, their feelings are non-existent. 
Um, so, you know, people say, well, yeah, I get a lot of pushback on, on this about avoidant attachment. And, um, th- that's what I'm saying. The surface behaviors may look very similar, but the underlying function of them is very different. Very, very different. Yeah. Have you been a victim of this? Me personally? Yes. No, I have not. Um, but I have been witness to it. Um, and it's not pretty. <laughs> it's not pretty. Um, you know, I definitely have my share of, you know, the divorced parents and the, you know, and the, 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 um, oh God, there's just terror that goes on with that. And the, you know, as an only child getting caught in the middle and, you know, dealing with parents that never should have been married kind of situation. Um, you know, and, you know, and everybody has their, their, traumas, right? And everybody has their stuff. As far as narcissistic abuse itself, I've witnessed it firsthand, um, witnessed it, um, and it is not pretty. And I think that's a huge reason why I went into this area because I see the damage that it does. And I see the damage that it does to people that aren't directly involved in it. It's extremely confusing for people to watch. It's extremely upsetting to see people you love suffering and you don't quite know why, right? Um, And I just, I, you know, and I just think that it's, I think the education component was something that I wish I had known. And I think it's, I, I, I think it would have been, I think it, would have been easier to be able to navigate certain situations for myself had I known this information. This is why I say it just should be taught in school. This would have saved me like years of therapy, right? But like, they just don't think it's important or they just, I don't know. They'll teach you how to identify sad faces or happy faces, but no one identifies, you know, how to regulate your emotions as a child, (laughs) right? Or, you know, just what red flags are and all of and patterns of behavior. I mean, it's such a huge part of living yet. It's something we take massive efforts at ignoring. Yeah. That that's the key point right there. We take massive efforts to ignore it instead of just dealing with it. Yeah. And why do you think that is? I mean, I think there's still generational, comp- you know, if I, if I go to dinner with like my grandparents and somebody, you know, is depressed or anxious thing, it's like a whisper. It's like, they're, they're depressed. Right. Or, you know, but somebody has cancer will scream, you know, it, it's different. Someone has diabetes, it's different, but for some reason, mental health, it's absolutely 100% getting way better. I mean, that, that goes without question. You know, there's podcasters, people like you, myself, where we just put it out there, celebrities that talk about it. Um, people are way more, um, willing to talk about it and it's not as stigmatized, but it still is. And I, I, I think for a couple of reasons, one is nothing tangible. Right. And I think people don't realize that, and they're starting to, it's like people will develop autoimmune disease. They'll develop chronic pain. They'll develop migraines. And then we just ignore the fact (laughs) of the stress and anxiety that makes those illnesses so much worse. Right. So I think we don't look at the body holistically, which I think is a huge problem. I, I can't even tell you how many patients I would get that would re- were referred to me finally because they had horrible IBS or they had horrible chronic pain or they had migraines or reflux or anything. I was the last referral. 
They went to their primary cardiologist, endocrinologist. They went to every single specialist under the sun. I was the last referral. I should have been the second, period. Should have been the second. And they're on all these medications by the time they get to me. And they're, they have side effects from the medication. It's just everyone's inflamed and it's just a big mess. So, you know, I think we, we, we are so much more inclined to look at the medical aspect of things, number one. I think that people don't know what to do when somebody says I'm anxious or depressed, right? They don't know how to respond. There's still stigma. So they, they don't, I mean, I've had patients say to me, I don't want to be in any computer system because I work for the hospital system and I don't want them to know. It's still there. That stigma is still very much there. And unfortunately it's there also with provide with mental health providers and, 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 and primary care doctors. It's very sad. Um, so I think people hide that. I, think that mental health care um, really ranges from people not knowing what the fuck they're doing and causing more harm than good to people that are really good, but they're booked or they're burnout and people can't get appointments. Um, insurance is hard. I think there's, there's so many variables in it. And I think sometimes people think because they can't see it and it's something that's internal that it doesn't exist as much or it's not much of a problem. The problem is, though, that it comes out as physical symptoms. I used to be... <laughs> Don't even get me started on like how much we could cut back on like medications and things like that, phys physical health problems, if we worked on the stress and anxiety first. I mean, it's um, it's it's... I used to be one of those people on a lot of medications, everything. I just needed a good therapist. <laughs> Mm -hmm. or a good coach or something mm -hmm. that taught me. And I also was misdiagnosed for um, bipolar disorder mm -hmm. when I had complex PTSD. Yep. And that's what I mean by people not knowing what they're doing and giving the wrong diagnosis and therefore the wrong treatment, right? Yeah. Um, and the other the other part of this too, I think that, that makes things really complicated is that nobody... Nobody talks to each other about it. That's the thing is people think they're so alone. And so people are less inclined to just bring it up and talk about it openly and realize that there's, you're, you're, you're so, it would be odd if you didn't have mental health problems at this point, right? Like it's, it would be odd if you never experienced anxiety and depression. That would be odd. You're human. Anxiety is a human emotion. Just because it feels crappy doesn't mean it's not normal. And we forget that. It's a necessary emotion. If we didn't have it, we'd walk across the street. We wouldn't look both ways. We'd get hit by a car. We wouldn't run if someone was chasing us. We would just stand there. It keeps us alive. It gives us information about our world. But we're so dead set on not feeling bad things that we do everything possible to avoid feeling it. And those of that avoidant behavior ends up being things like isolating ourselves drinking, eating too much, not eating enough, drugs, um, overworking, perfectionism, all of these things to avoid just being present. And then it makes everything so much bigger and so much louder. It's way more acceptable to be an overachiever and a perfectionist than it is to be somebody who has extreme debilitating anxiety. Yeah. yeah. You could chalk that up to social media, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, that was one of the things I said during the pandemic. I was, I, I actually went on a whole rant on this on Instagram. I was like, if I see one more influencer talking about how they took up gourmet cooking during the pandemic and they're now doing this, like they made um, an entire yoga manual up and like, we're all sitting here unshowered, right? Like, People are on like their fifth glass of wine. It's it's like 9 a.m. in our pajamas. We haven't changed in weeks. Kids are screaming. Everyone's fighting. People are losing jobs and people are dying. I went on and I just, I said, you know, this isn't a snow day, right? This isn't a vacation. This is not the time to find your better self. You are fine where you're at. Conserve your resources. We are so tapped out. Why on earth would you use this time to take up a new hobby? Like you're so tapped out. You don't have the cognitive resources for that. Just maintain where you're at. And, and it was this like need to use this time to better yourself and make the best of it. And I, and I had such a problem with that. I unfollowed so many people during the pandemic. I can't even tell you. Um, because of that, it was making people feel worse about themselves. Um, and I think it was necessary for us as a society to just kind of feel crappy together right? Because everybody felt that way. And it was a weird, it's rare. I think it's probably the only time, the only time I can think of that's remotely close was 9-11. And that's still not the same as this. We, there has never been a trauma that has been this global collective trauma. There was no way to escape yes. it, right? Yeah. Like everybody- It affected needed, everyone. Everyone. There was, there was no way to escape it. So why on earth are you- I don't, I don't, it was, it was very bothersome to me. And I think it ended up leading to more mental health problems than just kind of being in the moment and using the fact that everybody was in this together as a way to normalize what you're feeling. Yeah. I was one of those people who, well, I took up new, <laughs> I, I, I just changed my line of work. But here's the thing. I don't look at that as, right. I don't look at that though, as, as a huge, I mean, I, I told people, if you really want to change something, do a modification of something that already exists. So you're already to some extent. Or adapt. Or adapt. Exactly. Adapt. Correct. Reassess, adapt, move forward versus like, I'm going to learn how to speak Mandarin because I've always wanted to. Exactly. And then you're going to fail at it because you're so stressed out and tapped out. It's like now that's one other thing to feel bad about. And so I just kind of told people, you're actually going to feel better if you just allow yourself to just be present, right? And stop running from, from the ickiness, even though I understand why, why you want to. It's so much healthier. Um, you know, it's healthier all around. You're less inflamed. You're, you feel better. You sleep better. I mean, sleep also is a number one thing. I don't think we focus on that enough either. If we just, I say this, I don't sleep. I mean, my sleep is horrific and always has been. Um, so I say this without taking my own advice, but you know, sleep is really the, the, first thing you have to tackle before even tackling anxiety and depression, it's your sleep. And, and I think we overlook that too. And that's sometimes just a behavioral modification fix. And it's so interesting you say that because I watch, you know, there's a lot of talk about toxic positivity, especially on like YouTube and in these people. I remember I was listening to somebody who's like, I get up at 3am and I do this and I go to bed and I'm like, 
that doesn't make any sense. Right. Like, <laughs> and, like and, and by and by the way, you're already really rich, so you can you can fluctuate. You don't have any pressures. Correct. So like you're not putting this into context, and you're doing it in this way of this like positivity influence. And look, I am a positive person. I have been through unspeakable trauma that I would not wish on anyone. Right. Mm-hmm. But there is like, you know, and I'm a very big and, and people will argue with me. Oh, you don't sleep a lot. I sleep bank. So I'll get eight or nine hours when I can. I'll get six most of the time. But I and I take naps during the day because that is like, a, yep. you know, because I know I need a 20 minute recharge and I can take a 20 minute nap yep. like clockwork. I can literally go. I'm going to sleep 20 minutes later, wake up and feel completely refreshed. I think it's amazing. But yes, these people that are driving this, you're not working hard enough. You could do more, this, that, and the other. It's like, bro, that is easy for you to say when yep. you are rich. Yes. <laughs> yes. Like it is really easy for you to say, so of course you can do that. You know what I mean? Because I, for the longest time, shame myself. Like, call you, you're not doing enough. Yep. You're not doing this. And then I start to think about it. I use up every hour in the day that I can to do X, Y, and Z. Very Mm -hmm. little, I spend very little time fucking off. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And if I try to watch a Netflix show, it's at, okay, I'm going to go to bed. It's midnight. I'll start it. And by 12, 10, It, I'm I'm asleep. <laughs> I do the revenge sleep. Do you know? Do you ever hear about revenge sleep? I didn't even know it was no. a thing until I saw it, and I was like, "Oh my god, that's me!" Where you get into bed, right, and then you just stay up, even if you're tired, till like three in the morning because it's your time to just like. I haven't had time to do anything all day. This is my time to relax. Damn it! I'm gonna binge watch a show. I'm gonna eat. I'm gonna do everything I want to do. This is my time, and that's what I do. That's a hundred percent what I do. And it's oh, like my, it's like my, my alone time, except it's two in the morning and it's not benefiting me when I wake up at 7 a.m. I love that. Oh, that's so, it's called revenge. revenge I had no idea. Sleep. Cause I did that a few weeks ago. Yep. Yeah. It's, no one bothers you. No one bothers you. It's like your own little, I can watch what I want. I can watch my weird documentaries. I can do my thing. It's like my, you know, like. I think I messaged you. It was like 2 a.m. I'm like, I see you. <laughs> I was awake. <laughs> I just, it's, it's, for, listen, whatever works for people. And, you know, if what works for you doesn't work for somebody else, have that awareness and understanding before you push it on somebody else as if something's wrong with them because they can't do it. You know, and during the, the, the speaking of the toxic positivity thing, I remember when we heard that we, we were going to have to homeschool our kids. I got so many phone calls from friends who really know me. I have three kids and they were they were like, are you all right? Because they know me homeschooling <laughs> three children is not like, that's not, I don't, I'm not good in that situation at all. I'm not, I'm not good. And they were all very concerned for my well-being. <laughs> so I'm getting oh these phone gosh. calls. Is Jamie all right? Is she all right? Is she all right? So I'm on, I'm on my phone and, and I'm, I'm seeing all these things on Instagram as my friends posting they were doing like lesson plans. And like, I literally had my, my daughter counting lipsticks because I'm like, I don't know what to do. I, I we're like, here's Peppa Pig. I mean, it was, it was, it, I just, it was a free for all. And I remember scrolling through and I was like, I have never felt like a shittier mother in my entire life. And I'm like, I got to the point where I saw one, it was like this lesson plan on this mock chalkboard. It had glitter. And I was like, and I posted it and I was like, this is where I draw the line. It has glitter. Like this is, this is where I'm done. You know, like I'm, I didn't go on social media for like a good solid week because everything was making me feel like a crappy parent. 
And I was like, God, if I feel this way, there's a lot of people that feel this way. And I, that's when I started kind of ranting about that because I really believed I was this crappy mother. My kids were just, you know, going to be behind and it was all my fault and it was horrible, you know, but I think if you have the attitude of we're all, we were all dealing with this, we all have our stuff. Not one person on this planet is free from their shit. Everybody has their shit. And I think we have to be way more, um, tolerance of other people's shit, as long as other people's shit doesn't directly affect our life. That's a different situation. But I think, I don't think we're tolerant of people enough. You know, if somebody doesn't text you back, instead of flipping out on them, well, maybe, maybe they're having a tough day. Maybe it's too overwhelming right now to text them back. Give them some grace, give them some space, let them figure their stuff out, let them know you're there for them. And that's it. Um, not everything has to be this thing. Right. And I, I I just found that, um, it was something that I felt I needed to stress more and more on Instagram was that, you know, like everybody shows their stuff differently. You know, my best friend knows that if I don't text her back over like two days, she knows I'm like in a, I'm in a, I'm in a space. Right. And she'll just write, text me. I'm here. Right. She just knows instead of writing, why haven't you messaged me back? That's so rude. What's, you know, why you think we need to be more tolerant of other people's stuff. Um, I think that's another reason back to what you said, why people don't talk about their stuff and why we avoid it so much is I think people are just flat out scared of the feedback they're going to get. Yeah. They feel bad being depressed when they have a job and their health and, uh, you know, quote, happy family and, you know, and they're successful or whatever, whatever it is they're They feel guilty saying that they feel depressed or they feel guilty saying they feel anxious because people may say like, what what do you have? To- what do you have anything to be depressed about? You got a man. You live in a mansion. You have three beautiful Correct. kids, and you're you drive a Rolls Royce. I mean, I I lost a baby. I would say, and I talk about this because I think it's very helpful for people. I lost a baby, uh, maybe a two years before the pandemic, and it was absolutely horrific. I didn't get out of bed for like a month, and it was it was traumatized. I mean, you you never get over that fully, right? And. I remember somebody saying to me, it's not, at the time I had two kids, it's not like you don't have two healthy kids at home. And I was like, what? Like, and I just remember I totally shut down because then I was like, so am I, I'm not grateful that I have these two healthy children at home. I should be happy about that, which I was, but here I am still dealing with this. And it was, it was like, you know, the, I don't know. I mean, then you feel like a bad person because you're not grateful for what you have. And I think it's a really dangerous, you know, statement to say to people, you know, like you you should be grateful for what you have. And so that's why I think at least for me, like I shut down a little bit because I was like, well, I don't want to come across like I'm not grateful for the two kids that I do have because I love them. But I don't want people to think I'm like this, you know, ungrateful brat who is complaining about this when she has this. I think we have to, again, give people space, give people grace and, and kind of watch what we say, even if we don't, we don't have to understand it to be supportive. I think people think they have to understand it in order to be supportive. You, you don't, you just don't have to be an asshole. So true. Well, thank you for sharing that with us too. My professional oh. opinion, don't be an <laughs> asshole. <laughs> well, no, about like your story yeah. about you mourning the loss. Yeah. Because I think that so many women have that experience. Mm-hmm. And 
I've heard that so many times. Yeah. At least you have two. Yeah. Or at least you have this many. And I just can't. Someone told me I had to go, I had to go work out. I was like, work out. Like I couldn't even brush my teeth. What is the right, what is the right thing to say in that situation? I mean, I think in that situation and in other similar situations where there's loss or, or anything that's just kind of really just traumatic or hard or um, just, you don't need to write me back. You don't need to say anything. Just know that I'm here and I love you. Because sometimes if you ask people what you need, because I know in that situation, when people were asking me what I needed, I was in such a fog. I couldn't even tell you what I needed. I had no idea what I needed. And, and you know, this is, I don't know, like, you would think it would be easier to identify these things as a psychologist, but it, it wasn't. It didn't matter. Everything went out the window. It didn't apply to me. You know, I, it just didn't, it didn't work. And so I think it's not asking somebody what they need because then they feel overwhelmed. I don't know what I need. I don't want them to think that I'm not responding to them. So just don't write me back. I'm here and I love you. That's it. That's all you need to say. That's it. Because that says so much in and of itself. And it gives, it does, you never want to put the burden on the person that's hurting to have to connect with you or tell you something or come up with something. Just, I'm here. I love you. Don't, you don't need to write me back. That, that was so much more helpful for me. Or like people would just drop stuff off without asking, right? They would just like leave food or like leave wine or whatever. And they would just, that was it. And, and, you know, stuff like that, I think is super helpful. Nothing that was, nothing that requires a response, you know, don't tell them to do anything, you know, don't tell them to go work out or, you know, whatever the case may be. Yeah. Well, speaking of connecting, where can we find you on social media, everything? Um, so my website's drjamiezuckerman.com um, and my Instagram is drz underscore psychologist. But if you just put in Dr. Z psychologist, it'll show up. And then um, I have two workbooks, one for managing anxiety, one for changing patterns and habits, very behavior-based, mindfulness-based. Um, they're on Amazon and Target and all those good places, but everything's on my website. You can find it there. Um, yeah. Well, I always say to Tara, we're all a part of a squad that no one really wants to be a part of, but we're all a part of the Survivor Squad. So Dr. Jamie Zuckerman, thank you so much for joining the program. Thanks for having me. You guys are awesome. You asked really good questions, really good questions. And this was great. Thank you. Well, they come yeah. from two people that have been through some really yeah, I know. crazy shit. I know. <laughs> I know. I know. Well, thank you for helping and thank you for all the work that you guys do because I know you're helping a tremendous amount of people. Well, thank, thank you. So you. Thank you for everything you do. Yeah, thank you. Well, that was a fabulous episode, wasn't it? Oh, yes. No, I love Dr. Jamie Zuckerman. She has so much knowledge, and I feel like so much relates to just everything we have ever experienced in life. Oh, my gosh. Yes, we could fill a book full of these things. A few books, a few books, a few movies, a few television shows, all of it. Yes. And it is narc season because it's the holidays. So the holidays are not all about them and they have a really hard time with it. So, oh yeah, watch out, kids. Watch out, kids. On that note, survivors, I'm Tara Newell. And I'm Collier Landry. And this is the Survivor Squad podcast. We'll see you guys. Bye. The Survivor Squad podcast is made possible by support from listeners just like you. 
please subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. And please consider supporting this program by visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Survivor Squad. 